View family, welcome home. The View is a place of real and imperfect people coming together to worship the real and perfect God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and our mission is to make His name known in the city of Memphis. No matter what you've been through, no matter where you've come from, you belong here. Here at The View, we are training up believers to be bold enough to use their voice for the gospel. Since Christ died for the sins of the world, since He gave up His life for us, we're called to give up our lives for Him. In other words, it's not about me anymore. This semester, we're going to talk about love, a word that's thrown around so casually. But what does true, sacrificial love look like? How do we live in it, and how do we show it to others? We need to look to the one who sacrificed his life for us. This is real love. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. And as you're turning in your Bibles, I want you to find 1 John chapter 5. I want to challenge you tonight to not miss what God has for you in this room. God speaks to us all the time through his word. He speaks to us when we're at home. He speaks to us while we're at work. And I believe that each one of you were brought here tonight for a reason. I believe that you're in the chair that you're in, which has been prayed over. I believe you're here tonight for a reason, and that's because God has a word for you. Not me, but the Lord. The Lord has a word for you, and he has a word for me. And I don't want to miss his word. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is a pressing issue in our nation, in our culture, and in this generation. It's an issue that's causing many people to walk around as victims instead of victors. They're living a life of losing instead of winning. And I want you to know, how many of you know that when you have Jesus Christ, you are on the winning team? Amen? Amen. Absolutely. We can make noise in here. But... There's this area of our life as believers where we lose time and time again. And you're not going to be surprised by it, but it's prayer. There's some of you in the room tonight who said, I've heard so many sermons on prayer. Let me slip out, let me slip out the back. Let me get out of here before I endure another message. But a lot of us walk around losing in life because we're losing in prayer. You say, Daniel, what do you mean? What I mean is, in my own life, in my own heart, in my own journey with Christ over the last week, I have been really digging into my own heart and digging into prayer and digging into the why behind the things that I do. Why do I encourage the people in my life? Is it because I want them to think more highly of me or more highly of Jesus? Because only one of those is right. I think you know which one. Why do I even come to his word to read it? These are questions that believers should be asking. Why are we opening his word? Are we opening it just to get a word that we can share to somebody else? Or are we opening it to really approach the throne and watch this, hear from the God that created and designed us? Why? Why do we do the things that we do? And what I want you to understand is I have the incredible blessing of talking to many college students every week. And the one thing that I have, Harrison, that keeps on coming up with college student after college student is that they walk around feeling defeated in their prayer life. They walk around losing battles. They believe that they are second tier amongst Christians when it comes to prayer. There's a lot of college students in this room who believe that elite prayer is only for elite Christians. i got to tell you something. There's no such thing as an elite Christian. The incredible people of the Bible that prayed, Elijah, who prayed fervently and from a place of confidence. James 5 tells us that he was a man with a nature just like you and me. Isn't that amazing? The man, the prophet in the Old Testament that called down fire from heaven had a nature just like you, Salsa. There's nothing special or different about him when it comes to prayer than me. He just wanted it. And he believed. And he prayed that way. So you tell me, do you think the miracles that we see in Acts don't exist today? Do you think that God looked at human history and said, ah, oh, you know what, I'm just going to stop doing those things? You see, a lot of us think that God has stopped moving in miraculous ways when really we have stopped praying miraculous prayers. Uh, 
It's not in my notes tonight. This is what I've been wrestling with. What we're going to talk about tonight is what I've been wrestling with. A lot of college students, let's be honest tonight as we talk about prayer. I mean, let's really dig in. Let's not just show up. Let's be here. Let's be in this room. Everybody, take your phone and put it on Do Not Disturb. I'm serious. Right now, go ahead. If it's not already, I want you to take your phone. Ashley's like, I'm already on Do Not Disturb. That's what I'm talking about. She's ready for tonight. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb because the, war, the, the world would love to distract you from what God has tonight. Go ahead. Your Apple Watch, same thing. I see PJ messing with his. I, y'all know this thing is frustrating. Go ahead. He's already going through notifications. Put it on Do Not Disturb, whatever you got to do. <laughs> and let me talk to you about what we do in prayer. At the beginning of our week, a lot of us as believers set out to pray every day. And what happens is we end up praying two times that week instead of the seven that we plan for. A lot of us wake up and we know as believers we're supposed to pray. We would never abandon prayer completely. But what we do is we say, you know what, I'm going to pray all throughout the day. And then we get to 2 or 3 p.m. and we look back on our day and we realize that we really have not prayed in any way, shape, or form or fashion. We wake up in our day and we say, I'm going to set a goal to pray for 30 minutes. We go to the park. We go to our closet. We go to our space. We go to pray. When we get there, we sit there for two minutes and we don't get something out of it immediately, so we get bored, we get tired, and we want to stop. Does any of this sound familiar to anybody in the room? Anybody in the room at all? Go ahead and raise your hand physically. Anybody in the room? Maybe y'all are professional prayers. <laughs> Maybe y'all got this thing figured out. I, I don't. I'm a pastor. I'm ordained. I don't have prayer all figured out, but I want to. I want to. And how many times do we say, Avery, that I'm going to pray for 30 minutes, and we get in there, and after five minutes, we're ready to hit the door and get out? Let me ask you something. Have you ever set out to pray, and you said, you know what, I'm really going to focus on God? And you get in that moment, and you start praying, and five minutes later you realize that you haven't actually been talking to God, you've just been worrying and thinking about the world. That's losing in prayer. That's not winning in prayer. It's losing. And as I looked at my own heart, I realized that I set these goals, I fail in these goals, because I'm not actually praying the way that Scripture has commanded and even illustrated for me to pray. You see, there's a lot of Christians in the room who are just settling for a prayer life of losing. I wrote this down, and I want you to walk away with this. I want you to get this. We go into prayer, and instead of, our, instead of walking away, watch this. This is so true. Instead of walking away with a face that is shining because we've been in the presence of the Lord We walk away with a face that is full of shame. We walk away with a face full of, why can't I pray like other people pray? Why can't I truly focus in on God? Why am I only making demands and commands of God instead of allowing God's commands to shape and change me? Why? I believe there's a different way. And in my own heart as a pastor, I've been searching the scriptures to understand 1 John 5 tonight. And I want you to walk away with what we're going to talk about tonight. And I have not even began to hint on the even idea of the prayers we pray and then don't get an answer to. And then we get discouraged and we stop praying those prayers. That is the danger of the iPhone. Every single one of us has access to the World Wide Web. We have access to any human being we want. If I want to call Paul, I can call Paul in a minute and get the answer to any question. I can get the affirmation I'm looking for as a person like that. Is that how prayer works? (laughs) One person laughed. (laughs) No, we sit down in prayer. We pray these prayers. We say, God, give me a godly spouse. And when we walk out of our prayer closet and he or she is not standing there, we believe prayer doesn't work. We do. God, I prayed last week to have a godly boyfriend or girlfriend, and you still haven't come through. I guess this whole prayer thing isn't right. And literally, past these lights, I can see your faces looking at me, and you're like, Daniel, I'm tracking with you. God has a word for that tonight. Tonight, you stop walking as a victim of prayer. You start walking in victory of prayer. Tonight, you stop losing battles of prayer because prayer is going to be the source that overcomes every battle you face in this world. Tonight. Tonight. We break through. Tonight, we break through. And I wrote this down. I want you to write it down as well. The devil does not have to convince you that prayer is useless if he can just convince you it's boring. If you've ever read screw tape letters, you're very familiar that screw tape says, man, you don't have to convince them that prayer is useless. He tells them, hey, get them to pray to themselves. They won't even realize it. Screw tape, the demon, he's telling him, hey, Why don't you just convince them that they're praying to the corner of the wall and then they'll never pray again? See, if he can just convince you it's boring, he will stop your prayer life. And that's what we're going to dive into tonight. The title of my message, and I want you to write this down. I believe this is going to be big for this ministry. I believe it's going to be big for me personally. Is stop settling for selfish 
prayer. Stop settling for selfish prayer. I could say this to myself even more than I'm saying it to you tonight. And I've never heard a sermon on this. I've wanted to for so long. But looking at 1 John 5, what I'm going to talk about tonight is the motive and the heart for prayer. We are going to dive into the actual motive behind the prayers we pray and how oftentimes we're not praying according to God's will, we're praying according to our will. And that's why we lose in battles. And I'm back to doing a sermon in a sentence. If you've been involved at The View for a little while, you know that I used to do sermon in a sentence. Yeah, that's right, Rebecca, I see you. We're back to it. This is my sermon in a sentence, and I want you to write this down because I'm excited about it. Tonight, our main idea is this. Prayer is not about you getting your way with God. It's about God getting his way with you. Prayer is not about getting your way with God. It's about getting his way with you. Can I get another amen in the house of the Lord tonight? And what we're going to do is we are actually going to pray three times tonight. <laughs> Some of you are like, huh? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, when I go to church, somebody gets up there and talks for an hour. I'm guilty of that. Tonight I'm going to shut up a little bit. Tonight I'm tired of talking, talking, talking in the Lord's house. We're going to break down and we're going to pray right here in this room three separate times tonight. We're going to pray the heavens open. We're going to pray God to come down in this place and change us from the inside out. There's no preacher. There's no message. There's nothing that can do it except the gospel of Jesus and the power of his spirit. If you will, look with me at 1 John 5. Let's tackle this idea. I'm getting my intros a little shorter. This is good. 1 John chapter 5. Now, in verse 13, it's very important. John's going to tell you who he's writing to. He's going to tell us very much. If you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Repent, believe that he rose from the grave, and confess him as not just the Lord, but your Lord. I would then encourage you to reach out to us. We would love to get you in this as the first step of obedience and baptize you here at The View. If you are not a believer, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Tonight's message is for believers. And the reason why is not because Daniel wants a message for believers. It's because John is going to tell us exactly who he's talking to. Look with me at verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. We're going to keep this on the screen and we're going to stop right there. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he is writing to believers. So if you are in a room and you are professing, to believe in Jesus Christ and to have repented of your sins and trusted him. He's, hey, no, no, I can't do it without a handheld. God is talking to you, and he's talking to me. And if you're not a believer, he's talking to you. He's wanting you to repent and become a believer so that this next part can be true. Look at this. Those of you who believe in the Son of God, the reason why I'm writing to you, so that you may know, everybody say no, no. One more time, no. One more, No. Isn't that strong? Think about that. For the last week, I've been meditating on this phrase. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. See, when I know that my wife loves me, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to walk around in curiosity or fear because I know it. What if you and I started knowing that God is God and that's enough? Isn't that amazing? So that you may know, what What does John want us to know? That you have eternal life. We'll keep this right here for a minute. John's wanting you to understand, and there's a whole other sermon I'm not going to do right here. I'll do it next week maybe. That you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, the kingdom that they were praying for to come has come. God's kingdom has come. Eternal life has come. When you see the kingdom of heaven and eternal life in Scripture, they're one and the same. When the rich young ruler comes asking about eternal life, Jesus tells them about the kingdom of heaven. They are one and the same. It is knowing Jesus. It is knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and now you have eternal life living in your body now. See, heaven is not just a destination. It is absolutely a destination. Heaven is a kingdom coming down on this earth right now through the power of the Spirit through believers' lives. Do you know that tonight? Can I get a witness? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's eternal life. That's why he's writing. Now look at verse 14. John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. Say confidence with me. Confidence. See, right there. Lock with me. No. Confidence. There's a firmness here. There's a stability here. Confidence. You know how many believers I'm around that, that you just walk around and can tell they don't have any self-confidence in their personal faith in Jesus Christ? You know why? Lack of prayer. 
See, if I never talk to Hannah, I'm not going to walk around in the confidence that she loves me or that I love her. You start talking to God. You start getting on your face before God. You start leaving your phone in the other room. All of a sudden, you start walking around with a confidence. But what's that confidence towards? Is it about your social media platform? Is it about your finances? Is it about your body? Let's look at this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, God. That if we ask anything, I love this, Hannah. I love this. This is what has struck me for seven days. This is where I've been for seven days. That if we ask anything according to his will. According to his will, what? He hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Will you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, right now, we humble ourselves in this place, and we ask that you would open up the heavens and come down here to meet with us. Father, I pray for those in the room who don't know you, that they would repent of their sins, that they would grab a staff member, that they would grab a leader, that they would pray tonight and give their life to Jesus. Father, I pray that they would be baptized. Lord, I pray that you would strike our hearts tonight. God, we do not have an agenda or a will tonight. It's your will and your agenda that we are following. Not human agenda, but kingdom agenda. Father, please come down here and do whatever you want tonight. Father, I'm trusting you with this message. God, we want to hear from you. It's in your precious son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want you to understand here something here before I give you the first point, before we get into our prayer times tonight. I want you to understand something. This is very important. I wrote this down, and I want to stick to this because I want to make sure that I'm honoring what God gave me this week. He is talking about right here, underline in your Bible, that you may know. Right? We said that together, know. Underline that, that you may know. When that's translated in the Greek, it also translates to the idea of, watch this, assurance. Assurance. Being assured. Having confidence. It's this idea that you are assured and you are not having to always be reassured, but you are assured and you know there's a confidence here. And I want you to understand something. I wrote this question. I asked a college student this. I said, how do you know that you are walking closely with God? One of the things that you see in Scripture, how you know, and this is so good, how you know that you're walking closely with God is this. You're growing more secure in your faith. I said that really weird. I made it like eight syllables. You're growing more secure in your faith. That's how you know. Now, flip side of that. How do you know you're not walking very closely with God? You're growing more insecure in not just your faith in Christ, but however you're growing in your faith is going to impact the rest of your life. So if you're growing more secure in Christ, you're going to be growing more secure in your relationships with people. You're going to be growing more secure in your purpose. See, if you find yourself being insecure amongst your friends and your family and your job, if you see insecurities in all these places, it's not because you need to go fix something at your job. It's because there is a lack of security in your walk with the Almighty God. <laughs> see, there's nobody at your workplace or your college classroom scarier than the Lord God. And if you're scared of them, it's because there might be a, an absence of a healthy fear of the Lord God. <laughs> Because once we truly are in prayer and realize that there's nobody worth fearing besides God, then we don't fear anything on this earth. We walk in confidence. We walk in assurance. So let me ask you a question tonight before we even talk about the motive of prayer. Are you growing more secure or more insecure? Because the devil wants to make you insecure. The devil wants to attack you. He wants to strip you of your confidence, not in yourself, but in your confidence of Jesus Christ. See, and this is so good. If he can just take your confidence in Christ and twist it to make it a confidence in yourself, he's got you. Isn't that fascinating? If he can just make you less confident in God and more confident in yourself, yourself, apart from God, is going to fail. You are. But when you're growing more confident in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that the attacks of Satan can do against you. Now, as John continues to push this confidence and assurance, he's guiding it and, and trying to propel you forward towards approaching the throne of God. I want to remind you of something, students. It's so incredible that we have access, that every single person in this room, no matter your skin color, no matter your nationality, no matter what your parents did for a living, that every single one of us have equal access to God. Do you know how incredible that is? 
Do you know, and I wrote some of these things down, that in the Old Testament, they didn't have access to God like that. There was a separation between the holy place and the holy of holies, and then the common folk. And then for us, Gentiles, there was a whole other separate partition that wouldn't let us in where the Jewish nation was. There was, a, there was not an equal access to be had in the Old Testament. But now, because of the glory of Jesus Christ, not counting equality with God as something to be exploited, but taking on the form of a servant and coming down in the form of flesh, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, paying your debt and paying my debt, and him coming down and being that sacrifice, now, no matter your skin color, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you do for a living, no matter if your parents are divorced or it's a great marriage, no matter all the things that you've done in your life, if you are willing to repent and trust Jesus, every person in this room has equal access to God. Can I point something out to you? There was a time in America that not everybody had equal access to the same water fountain because of their skin color. You don't like that? It's history. It's true. It's true. How in the world can I come up here and preach and not address some of these things? There's a time. Think about the glory that we have had equal access to God Almighty. And even in our own nation, just a few years ago, if you were a person that was not white, you did not have equal access to some of the things that white folk had. (laughs) Think about how much humans have divided, how much we have put up barriers in our lives. There's places that the rich in our nation have equal access to that us common folk, us middle class, don't have access to that we don't even know about. Humans are so divided, and there is not, in history, there has been this continuation of not equal access to things based on skin color, based on gender, based on what you do for a living, based on your money. There has not been this equal access. Then you come to God the Father, and you look at Jesus Christ coming down on the cross, and now because of his shed blood, he has made it to where we all have equal access to be able to approach the throne with confidence and pray. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? This ain't in my sermon, but I'll tell you one of the things. Why it's so easy to fall into racism is because it's one of the clearest and quickest way to divide ourselves. See, I don't have to say a word to PJ to know that he's a different skin color than I am. I don't have to get to know him. I don't have to know his interests. I don't have to know his income. But what I can do is I can look at him and see that we are different skin colors And immediately, that's the quickest way for me to be able to divide myself with him. Humans have made a way to found the quickest way to divide ourselves. That's not for tonight. You didn't ask for it, but I gave it to you anyway. So take it for whatever you want with it. But there it is. We are going to talk more about, as the Spirit prompts, racial reconciliation in this ministry and what it looks like to truly approach God in prayer in a way that will heal our brokenness and our division. Because there's nothing in this country, there's no politician, there's no president, there's no policy, nothing that's going to fix the division we see in America besides the anointing of the power of the Spirit of God. If the church, if we don't talk about it, who will? Equal access. Now, number one, I want you to write this down. Let's talk about the wrong motive for prayer. Let's get the bad out of the way. Let's get the ugly out of the way. Let's talk about the wrong motive for prayer. Because John's saying that there's a confidence you can have. You can be assured when you approach the throne to pray according to his will. Now, all week long I've been dwelling on what this means. And I want you to to join with me looking at the screen here at John chapter 14. These are such incredible verses from Jesus. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What I said a moment ago is that when it comes to the wrong motive for prayer, watch this, this is so important. We approach God in a way where we already have our will made up. And we don't go into prayer for God to impress upon us his will, we go into prayer to impress upon God our will. I wrote this down. I said that we treat prayer as a time to push our agenda onto God when really prayer is the time for us to submit ourselves to God's agenda. <laughs> and the heart of it is pride. It's arrogance. It's because, hey, I, I, I'm a pastor and I want to go into prayer and I know how things should be and I know how things should go. I know how things should run. So I'm going to go into prayer already with my preconceived notions as to how I think this should be done. And the whole time in prayer, when you go into it with your will, instead of accepting God's will, you miss the reason why God even has you there. 
No matter how hard you try to impose your will upon God, it will not work. I want you to understand something. It is very possible, and I'm going to show you this from Scripture. It's very possible to pray the right thing, but with the wrong heart. I'm telling you, we are digging deep. I want you to ask self-reflective questions you've never asked. Why do you pray for the people in your life? Look at me. You don't believe me. I'll show you James 4, verse 3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I want to encourage you to write that verse down. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, wrong, on, on your passions. In other words, the right words fall short when produced from the wrong heart. The right words fall short when produced from the wrong heart. You see, God does not want you to just come to prayer and babble on the right words. He wants you to come to prayer, and if it's silence, but your heart's in the right place, that's winning prayer. Can you imagine? Think about that for a moment. That if you didn't say a word, you just came to God, and you just sat there with the right heart, a humble heart desiring to truly just know God and nothing else, that is a more honorable prayer to the Lord than us going and praying for all these things that are based on our will and not God's will. And silence is something that we are so, so not comfortable with as a generation. I'll give you an example of praying right things from the wrong heart. It's an illustration that falls apart. It's not perfect, but I'll give it to you. My grandfather was one of my best friends. Some of you have grandparents. Some of you probably love your grandparents. My grandpa, his name was Sidney, and he graduated from the University of Texas. He was a Longhorn. Anybody Longhorn fans in here? We got one on the front row, salsa. He's a, he saw, Paul says he's a Michigan fan. Salsa rides a bandwagon. And uh, my grandfather, my grand, we know bandwagon fans. We, uh, my grandfather graduated from you. Watch this. He double majored in math and Russian. Some of you guys are saying, Daniel, you have that in your genes? You have that in your blood? I, I guess I don't. <laughs> I've never tapped into any kind of math or Russian in my life, so I don't know where he got it from because I don't have it. It was not passed down to me. He double majored in math and Russian, and he was one of my best friends. We would go comic book shopping together. We would spend time together. I was 10 years old at the height of our relationship, and we, we loved each other. He loved me. He showed me what it meant to really have a, a bond with somebody. It's one of the first bonds I ever learned in my life. That's why I love spending time with the people in, in my life that I love. That's why I love spending time with Hannah. So I love spending time with Dakota and Jacob and Jasmine. So I love spending time with you guys because I love having bonds with people that go past the surface level. We live in a generation that is so easy just staying surface level in our friendships and never breaking into scripture, never breaking past the surface. It's off. I got to get back on track. My grandfather, when I was 10 years old, he was a runner, Ellie. He would run all the time. And he went up to Freeman Park in Bartlett to train. He was going to get back into shape. He'd gotten out of shape or whatever. And as he was running at the park, he had a heart attack. And he passed away. They said he was gone before he hit the ground. And at 10 years old, I, it affected me in a large way. You know, trauma, death, loss, you, whatever it is, it affects you, it changes you. And for me, I was changed by this. Um, I remember telling my aunt, my Aunt Connie, uh, she may be watching the live stream. I told my Aunt Connie one time, I was just 10 years old, and I heard an ambulance siren going by. And at 10 years old, I looked at my Aunt Connie, and I said, somebody's life is changing today. Because now I had associated the sound of sirens with losing my grandpa. And I knew that somebody else might be going through that. And as I was learning how to grieve, as I was learning how to accept this loss in my life, which we all will experience, we all have parents and grandparents and loved ones, as I was learning how to greet this, I was talking to my dad at 10 years old, and I said something, and he, as a great dad, he caught it, and I know he's watching tonight. He caught this in me, and he stopped it. I was crying, I was grieving, I was mourning, and I looked at my dad, I said, Dad, what am I going to do? And he said, what do you mean? Now, my papa had come to lunch with me every single Friday at Bartlett Elementary. He would bring me McDonald's. He would bring straws. We would stack the straws up as high as we could. We made all the teachers mad. They hated it. They hated seeing my grandfather come in because they knew we were going to have some fun. My grandfather didn't mind riling up in the cafeteria a little bit. Amen. You can have some fun in school, right? Amen. Just not too much fun. And, uh, and I was so torn up. I looked at my dad, and I was in tears. And I said, Dad, who's going to bring me McDonald's on Friday anymore? And my dad caught it, and he said, hey, I want to tell you something. Do not just miss your grandfather because of what he did for you. Miss him for who he was. I want to ask you a question. We know that when the father has you, he has you, and nothing will take you away from the father. But I want to ask you a hypothetical question. I want you to think about it. If God was taken away from you, if Jesus was taken away from you, 
Would you miss him for who he is or just what he's done for you? Would you miss him for his presence or would you just mourn over the blessings? I can't answer that question for you, but seriously, if God was taken away, would you be broken over not having his presence or would you be broken over not having the blessings he could bring you? See, for me, it was Friday lunch. What is it for you? See, God does not just want us to be believers who go to prayer so that we can be blessed. He wants us to be believers, Fernando, who realize that the greatest blessing he'll ever give us is his absolute presence amongst us. And see, that's why we, don't, that's why we lose in prayer, because we go to it as to what we can get instead of going to it to realize that God is God. And if he doesn't do anything else for us, he's already done far too much for us. He has already done far too much for us. I've been so moved by the Lord lately that I've been checking my heart on every prayer request. I've been checking my heart on every single prayer request. I don't tell you that, but look at Daniel. No, I'm checking my heart on every prayer request because I realize most of my prayer requests are not coming from the right heart. Here are some of the examples. If we are praying for revival here at The View so that we can get even just a little bit of credit, God's not going to honor that prayer. If you're praying to lead someone to Christ so that you can go and brag about the fact that you did it to your friends, that is not an honorable prayer to the Lord. Our motive is off. That's James 4.3. Another one I said that if you're praying for your ministry to thrive and there's any selfishness that is attached to your name that you're okay with and you're not willing to repent of, that's not a prayer that God is going to honor. We have to realize that oftentimes we pray for our friends. We pray for our friends. But we're not really praying for them to love and, love and know God more. We're really praying for them to love and know us more. That's one thing I realized in my prayer life, how often I'm willing to pray for people if I get something out of it. How willing I'm willing to pray for the people in my life as long as I'm willing to reap the benefits of their friendship to me. Would you still pray for your friends if you were not blessed by it at all? If you received nothing from the people you pray for, would you keep praying for them? Now, that's a hard question to ask because God desires our motive to be right. Now, what I want to do in here right now, I want to enter into our first prayer time. I, I want to create a space where I can shut up and where we can truly pray before the Lord. And this is what I want you to do. In this moment, right where you are, I just want you to close your eyes. You can keep your Bible on your laps. So you don't have to move around. You don't have to readjust everything. Just close your eyes right where you are. And let's just stop mid-sermon for a moment and think about what we just talked about. How easy is it to hear a message, to hear a point, and to say, okay, that was, that was good or whatever. I, I learned something from that and then not apply it. Let's apply that right now. Let's apply that right now. God said that his house will be a house of prayer. Why do we not pray more at the view? Right here where you are in your chair, I want you in this first prayer time, you're going to be tempted to let your mind wander. Right now, you're going to be tempted to be distracted by your phone, by your worries, and by your stress and your anxiety. That's the temptation that Satan's putting on you. And every single time that your mind drifts to one of those, he's going to, he's going to tempt you to be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If your mind wanders from the Lord a hundred times, that's a hundred times you get to return your mind back to the Lord. I learned that last week from a pastor in Nashville. Right now in this moment, I want you to take your mind and just center it on the fact that God is here with you. Just stop for a moment and just think about the fact that the God of creation is right here with you. Now, all those things that Satan keeps directing your mind towards, all those things that your flesh wants to worry and think about, in your mind, move them to the side and say, they are not going to come in front of God. God has, my, God has my mind right now. I want you to just pray right now, and I want you to just tell God that you want to hear from him in this moment. Some of you, I know a lot of you came in here tonight, you want to hear from God. Tell God to speak to your heart right now. Would you, 
would you pray and say, God, I, I am so sorry for when my mind is not worshiping you. I'm so sorry for when my mind is worshiping this world. Maybe right now what you need to do is you need to tell the Lord, here, I give up my will and my agenda, my plans. You're all knowing I'm not, so your plan and agenda is better than mine anyway. Take your will and your agenda, lay it at Jesus' feet right now if you feel the need. Ask God to put on your heart what sin you need to repent of right now. You say, Daniel, I don't want to repent in a room filled with 400 people. Ain't nobody in this moment but you and God. Whatever sin you have, you repent of it right now and just give it to God. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you've been idolizing comfort in your life. You've been idolizing having all the answers. Maybe you're a control freak. I, I am. Would you give that to God? Maybe it's something a little heavier. Maybe it's pornography. Man, maybe you walked in tonight, whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. The struggle is prevalent amongst both genders. Maybe you walked in tonight and you feel dirty and you feel shameful and you feel like Jesus could never cleanse you because you've been struggling with sexual immorality. It's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you feel dirty, you feel shameful because you've been watching stuff on your phone or your laptop that you know is a sin. And nobody feels good when they're in that stronghold. Would you repent of that? I don't care how dirty you were when you came in. Jesus Christ and his blood can cleanse you of any sin, no matter the quantity, no matter how bad you think it is. He can cleanse you of any sin. Just right now, say, God, here I am. Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. With your head bowed, I want to read some scripture before we end this prayer time. Just listen to me with your head closed, with your eyes closed. I love Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe what you need to give up right now is pride. Romans 2, verse 4 to 5 says, do, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, watch, is meant to lead you to repentance? That in this room right now, as heavy as it is, as it is when you think about Jesus Christ dying and giving up his, his spirit on the cross and bleeding and shedding blood and then raising from the grave again, when you think about his kindness through the cross, that that is, that that is there to call you to Repentance. Paul goes on to say, but because of your hard and impenitent, I can't say this word tonight, because of your hard heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. When you repent, Romans 8 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You won't be condemned because Jesus is your lawyer. Jesus is standing beside you. Jesus is all you need. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I can't imagine the sin that's being broken and shed in this room. But God, I know that whether we ever see it or not, that this is for your kingdom. Father, I pray that the view that me and anybody here gets no credit for what you're doing in the hearts and minds of these students. Father, I just pray that you would break us over sin. Father, we repent of every sin. We give up our will. We give up our agenda. We give up our motive. We lay down our motive for yours. We ask for your will and your agenda in our lives. God, would you please, please, God, put on our hearts what you want out of us when it comes to prayer, not just what we want out of you when it comes to prayer. And if that's your prayer tonight, college students, would you say amen? Amen. Look at me.
Whatever you got out of that is dependent on your heart. I can't manufacture anything. I can't force anything. Whatever you get out of prayer is coming from your heart. I want to tell you something. What you just prayed, there's nothing stopping you from going into your closet, from going to a park, from being alone, and praying to God just like that. Can you imagine if we started doing that in here more? Can you imagine if you started doing that in your life more? But the reason why we don't is what I said at the very beginning. It's because we view prayer as boring. It's because we view prayer as boring. And I want to keep the posture that we have in the room right now. Because I know some of you are being freed from the chains of sin. And tonight God is calling you. The reason why we view prayer as boring. And watch this. Now this is tough. This is tough. This is real stuff. This is Bible stuff. You're going to talk about in prayer for 10 minutes before Almighty God and then coming out of it to keep talking and keep listening to a message. How do you do that? I don't know. We're going to figure it out together. (laughs) I don't have all the answers. I've never stopped to do three prayer times in the middle of a sermon. But I think God will bless prayer. (laughs) I think it's worth it. We view prayer as boring, and this is so good. I've been learning this in some of my seminary that I'm doing. And here's why. It's because we say the same old things about the same old things. Now hear me. This is very important. I'm not saying that the issue is that we pray about the same old things. See, we should always pray about the same old things, Kylie. We should always be praying for our mom and dad, for our family, for our work, for our future, for our finances. We should always be praying for the view. It's, it's not, Sean, and watch this, this is so important. It's not that we are praying about the same old things. It's good to pray about the same things. It's this. It's that we are saying the same old words, the same old tired words about the same old things. That's the breakdown. See, if you wake up every day and your prayer over your dad is, God bless my dad, and that's it, that's not a relationship with God. That's a staff meeting with God. <laughs> that's where you go, you go in with God and you just say, All right, God bless my dad. And there's nothing wrong with this if you do it sometimes, but you just go into it and you're like, God bless my dad, bless my wife, bless my friends, bless my roommates, be with me today, help me make some money, help me get good tips at Roadhouse, amen. <laughs> like sometimes you got to do those quick prayers, but guys, hey. It's a relationship. Can you imagine? My wife's Hannah. I love her. Can you imagine? Some of you are like, good, I'd hope so. Can you imagine if I went home every day when my wife gets off from work and sat down at the table and asked her the same old questions and gave her the same old answers? Can you imagine? I'm serious. If every single day she asked me how my day was, and sometimes I do this, if every single day she asked me how my day was, I said, oh, it was good. And that's it. We're not, married. We're not in a relationship. We must be just be roommates at that point. See, that's how we treat our relationship with God. We say the same old things about the same old things, and that's why prayer is boring. Here's what's amazing. You want to know the fix to this? Watch. It's so incredible because it's not some ABC formula. It's not some uh, alliterated thing. This is how you stop viewing prayer as boring. Watch this. It's incredible. You're going to say, oh, my goodness, so clever. It's not. You pray the word of God. Isn't that amazing? Not an amen in the bunch. You pray the word of God. See, when you start praying the word of God, your prayers start to transform. And what I want to show you is this. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 23. Famous psalm that everybody in this room knows. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 23. And I want you to understand something about your prayer life. If you're saying the same old things about the same old things, prayer is going to get very dull and very boring because you're not treating it as a relationship with God. It's a staff meeting. So what do I do, Daniel? What do I do? You take something like Psalm 23 and you start to pray it. Now, not only that, I want to give you an example here. When you're looking at Acts chapter 4, and some of you are familiar with this passage, when Peter and John are released from prison and they're facing persecution, Jasmine, when they get out of prison and they're facing being beaten up, what's amazing is they pray, and I want you to look at their prayer, and I want you to look closely. Look at this on the screen, Acts 4, verse 24 to 26. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, watch this, this is so good, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right here in the middle of their prayer in Acts, they quote Psalm chapter 2. And not just that, not only were their prayers after persecution quoting scripture, but they were quoting scripture that applied to their current context. (laughs) That's powerful prayer. Look at me. That's prayer that wins. When you start praying scripture... 
and you start praying scripture that's relevant to the situation you're in, all of a sudden prayer is not boring. Prayer transforms your life. I'll give you an example. The next time that you get at a point in your life where you feel like it's a dead end, when you're caught in drama, when you're caught in hardships, when you're facing trials, the next time you're caught in a place that's tough, think about the spot Moses was in. See, Moses at the Red Sea, before it was parted, was in a place where on all four sides of him, he had no hope. To the left of him, or whatever direction, it was Pihaharoth, which was a rocky range of land. They couldn't go anywhere. In front of him is the Red Sea. The other side are forts and garrisons. And then the Egyptians are chasing right behind him, Harmony. They're trying to kill him. He's in a situation that he can't do anything about which is where God often leads us. He puts us in situations we can't do anything about, so we don't rely on ourselves, we rely on him. <laughs> Next time you get there, instead of just thinking, ah, oh, yeah, this is like Moses, what if you actually go to the words of Moses in chapter 14, verses 13, this won't be on the screen, look what Moses says to the people. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Let me ask you something. What if you took that and started praying it right then in that spot, Grace? I'll tell you what would happen. The Lord will transform your life. You know why we can't pray Scripture? Because we don't have Scripture stored up. <laughs> see, it's hard to pray something you don't know. I could tell you to pray for my family right now. You can't pray for them by name because you probably don't know their names. See, we're going to have a hard time praying Scripture if we don't know Scripture. They prayed Scripture specifically to their situation. Now, this is, this is amazing. I want to give you one more. Jesus says this in John 15, verses 7 to 8. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Once again, saying his will, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, you're at Psalm 23. This is what I want to do right now. This is our second prayer time. Right now, you just repented. You gave God everything you had. You said, my agenda's done, God. It's your agenda. Now, in this room together, 400 college students. Let's take Psalm 23 and let's make this our prayer tonight. Let's pray this scripture right here in our chair. Look at Psalm 23 with me. The first line says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right where you're sitting, what would it look like for you to pray instead of just, God bless me today. What if you prayed, Lord, be my shepherd. Help me to not want. Right there where you are, just looking at the scripture, pray that right, right now. Lord, you are my shepherd. Help me to not want. Just verse 1. Lord, you are my shepherd. What's amazing about shepherds is they care about their sheep. Lord, you are my shepherd. You care for me. You know me. Lord, I ask that you would shepherd me tonight. Now think about anybody in your life, your mom, your dad, your parents. How about instead of just praying God bless them or just making mention of their name, which isn't wrong, pray that God would be their shepherd. Lord, I thank you for my brother Salsa. I pray that you would shepherd him today. Lord, I pray in the same way that you help me to know you love and care for me, I pray that you would help my family to know that you love and care for them. Father, be the shepherd to the people in my life that I love. It's a dangerous world, and I pray that you would keep them safe. Verse 2. It keeps going. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. College students, can I ask you a question? When's the last time you stopped and allowed the Lord to even make you lie down? Have you been going 100 miles an hour? I see heads bobbing. Yes, you've been going 100 miles an hour? Tell God right now, God, make me lie down. Make that your prayer tonight. God, make me lie down. You want to lie down right where you are? You can. You want to get on your knees where you can? It doesn't matter. You pray however you want to tonight. Tell the Lord, Lord, make me lie down. <laughs> Lord, calm me tonight. Lead me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This one's an easy one. Lord, my soul's tired. 
And I've been running to the world to restore me. But the world can't restore me. Only you can. Jesus, restore my soul. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, put whoever the Lord, ask the Lord to put someone on your heart right now to pray for their soul. Right now, college student, ask God to put someone on your heart to pray for their soul. And you get nothing out of it. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Father, take away the spirit of fear and replace it with a spirit of power and love and self-control. Father, I haven't had self-control. I've been given into the pleasures of my flesh. And only you can free me of that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That imagery of your head being anointed is to represent a spiritual covering from the attacks of the enemy. Maybe your thought life has been awful. Maybe Satan is winning your mind, and when he wins your mind, he wins the battle over your actions. Maybe right now what your prayer needs to be is, Lord, anoint my head with oil. Lord, anoint my head with a spiritual protection from the attacks and the thoughts of the enemy. Help me to stop running for the approval of man. Help me to stop living off the affirmation of my friends. Help my thoughts to stop running rampant. Help my thoughts to worship you because I've been worshiping my thoughts. <laughs> Whatever you want to pray right there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Before we end, this last verse right here, I'm going to challenge you to do something hard. There's somebody in your life who has wronged you. It cuts me to the core to think about it in my life. But there's somebody who has wronged you. There's somebody who has hurt you. There's somebody who betrayed your trust. There's somebody who has hurt you. And what you need to do right now is forgive them. You got to lay it down at the altar, man. You got to stop walking around with bitterness because it's eating you up from the inside. And this is what I want you to do. Whoever it is that's wronged you or hurt you, pray right now. God, help goodness and mercy follow them. <sighs> it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to pray for somebody that wronged you. And yet Jesus prayed for the people who were crucifying him. He prayed for us when we rejected him. Pray for that person. Say, may goodness and mercy follow them all the days of their life, just as it will me. And that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right now, I want to give you just a few more seconds to keep praying whatever else you need to pray from this passage before we move on. Number two, the right motive for prayer. It's my last point, if you were wondering. I want to talk to you just for a minute about the right motive for prayer. God bless you. We have to ask this question, and I want you to write this down. I see you in the back, Mac. I want you to write this question down. What was the motive of the prayers of Jesus? Now, we spent a lot of time talking about the wrong motives to decode, but we got to talk about the right motive for prayer. And I want you to understand something, that as you look at this, I'm going to go back to John, 1 John. He says, according to his will, he's saying that there is a way that we should pray. Watch this. We're going to talk about the right motive. We're going to get this right tonight. We're going to walk out of this place, starting to live in victory of prayer. And if you're emotional tonight, I'm not going to do anything to cause an emotional response in here. But if you're emotional, that's okay. Do not, I, I don't care, whatever you need to do. You, you need to cry, you cry. I've cried over the last week plenty of times. Don't you be embarrassed to cry. I, it don't matter to me. Whatever you got to do with the Lord is up to you. I don't want you, I don't want somebody in here who's being moved in a way that's different than somebody else to feel bad. Don't matter to me. I want the Spirit of God to move however he moves in this place. 
What was the motive of Jesus' prayer? Now, I want us, if we can, to put up John 14 again. Uh, John 14, verses 13, uh, right here. He says it, that the Father may be glorified in the, in the Son. And this is so important. You know, as a preacher, we can sit here and talk all day about the wrong stuff, but let's talk about the right stuff here. Jesus prayed that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, I want you to understand this. Every motive of Jesus' prayer and everything that we see in his life, and this is so astounding to look at, everything has to be about God's glory. Everything has to be about God's glory. Write that down in your notes. Every prayer is about God's glory. Every good work is about God's glory. Everything that we do in our prayer lives has to be centered on the glory of God. When it's not centered on the glory of God, it's centered on ourselves. Now, I'm going to give you three things here really quickly that I want you to see in the life of Jesus about the glory of God. A is we see this in Jesus' relationship with the Father. The first thing that I want to point to here before our final prayer time is that when you look at the relationship, I get excited just talking about Jesus' life. When you look at the relationship Jesus had with his Father, time and time again, everything was about glory. That's what's amazing about the relationship of Jesus Christ. You see, we have a lot of friends in our lives, and I don't want to get too off here. We'll be here all night. It'll be midnight, and I'll be getting fired. See, we have friendships where we compete with each other. See, that's the issue with Gen Z and millennials today, is we're not really friends because we're too busy competing with our friends. We're too busy trying to outdo our friends, and y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. We're too busy trying to do a little bit better, be a little bit more holier, bring a little bit more glory to God than our friends, and we miss the point. And not only is that prevalent in the world, it's prevalent in the church. See, there are a lot of believers who are quote-unquote friends and yet spend their whole time competing against each other. The only way that you should be competing with your friends is <laughs> Scripture memory. Compete in that. Compete with each other over who can memorize more Scripture because as you memorize it, God's going to convict you over competing for any selfish gain anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. Try to outdo your friends with Scripture memory. God's going to hit you like a ton of bricks on your heart. But we want to compete. We want to be the, the freshest, the flyest one. We want to have it all put together. We want to be seen as the most put together person that we can. And we miss it. But Jesus in his relationship with the Father, every single thing was back and forth. Every single time Jesus did a miracle. Haley, you know what he did? He said, oh, this glory is for the Father. And every time the Father did something, it would say, hey, this glory belongs to my Son. They were glorifying each other. And then when the Holy Spirit came at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit's there. to They're the best team of all time. The greatest way I can put it to you, Brady's great, the Tampa Bay Bucks are great, but the greatest team of all time is the Trinity because there's no jealousy, there's no hate, there's no greed, there's no competition. They love each other with a perfect love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love each other with a perfect love. Isn't that amazing? You and I can't even fathom that kind of love, but they love each other with a perfect love. And they show that in the way that they keep giving glory to each other. They keep passing it along. They say, look at the Father, look at the Spirit, look at the Son, and I'll show you. Watch this. Right here in John chapter 12, Jesus, he's praying here. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, the coming cross, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So then Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. The Father speaks here. He says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Everybody say, God's glory. God's glory. Say it one more time louder. Here we go. God's glory. Look at John 17:1. Jesus' high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. So glorify your Son. Why? That the Son may glorify you. I told our serve team a minute ago, Jesus is praying these prayers while headed to the cross. He's headed to a crucifixion, and he's praying for the Father to be glorified. He's heading to die for a humanity that is lost in sin and has rejected him. He's heading to the cross, T.O., to die an un unjustifiable death, to die a death that he does not deserve, that we deserve. He's heading to go die on the cross, and he's praying for God's glory. Let me tell you about my prayer life. A lot of times what we do is we can find ourselves sitting in a literal field of blessings and comfort in our lives, and we're still asking God for more blessings. That's where your pastor's been this past week. Jesus is heading to a crucifixion. He's praying for God to get glory. We're, we got it made. We literally have it made. And we're praying for more comfort. We're praying for more blessings. God, please don't let me go through trials. Please don't let me be persecuted. When really we can realize that there is joy when we are persecuted. That's amazing. 
That's absolutely amazing. See, a lot of us are not praying for God to be glorified because our prayers subconsciously are filled with us praying to be glorified ourselves. We got to die to that. We got to let that go. When you look at Jesus' relationship with the Father, he's asking for glory. Not only that, B, we see this in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, verse 16. I'm going to give this to you really quickly. We see this right here. Write this down. We see it in Jesus' teaching. Here's Matthew 5, 6. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may talk better about you. So that they may say, oh, man, Daniel's so holy. He's such a good Christian. Did you see that new Bible he was walking around with? A man probably walks on water. He or she probably walks on water. They're so kind. I've never seen them stumble before. No, it doesn't say any of that. I can't find that. I didn't find it in my Bible. I don't find it on the screen. So that they may see your good works. And look at this. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not only that, but see, we see this in the results of Jesus' ministry. We see this in Jesus' teaching. And we see this in the results of his ministry. A lot of us are producing a lot of things right now. We're producing disciples. We're producing groups. We're producing Bible studies. We're producing Zooms. We're producing a whole lot of social media content. We're producing a whole lot. When you look at what Jesus produced, Josh, it was glory for the Father. My question is, what are you and I really producing? You say, Daniel, that's a hard question. I think it's one that needs to be asked. Because when you look at the results of Jesus' ministry in Luke 5, verse 24 to 26, make sure you write these verses down. It says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all the way, seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. They walked away from Jesus' ministry looking at the fruit that he produced and said, man, we've seen amazing things only God can produce. Let me ask you something. When people come in contact with your ministry and my ministry, when they come in contact with the view, when they come in contact with you, where do they walk away giving glory? Is it to you or is it to God? Because that's where we have to change. Now, what I want to do is, I'm done preaching, I'm done talking. What I want to do is, in our final prayer time, I want to ask you to do something that you may have never done. And if you're not comfortable or if you're not able, that's perfectly fine. This is strictly up for you. But what I would love for us to do in a moment is for us to bow. Say, Daniel, I'm uncomfortable doing that. I know. Why do we bow? What are we bowing to? And I mean really lock in with me. Don't let me lose you here. We bow not to Bellevue, not to The View, not to any person in this room. We bow to Jesus Christ only. There's no politician. There's no president. There's no teacher. There's no professor. There's no parent. There's nobody you bow to except the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to challenge you to do in this moment, if you're able, if you're willing, if you want to, this is up to you. I want to invite you to just go ahead in this moment and bow right at your chair. I'm going to bow on stage. PJ is going to be the first one right here. I want to invite you to go ahead. You can get on your knees. You can face your chair if you want to. You don't have to. But if you want to, this is strictly up to you. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to engage in a posture of bowing before the Lord only. Bowing before Jesus. I'm bowing before the Lord in this moment. And this is something that you can do wherever you are. At home when you wake up in the mornings. At night before you go to bed. We don't bow to anything else except the name of Jesus. And Jesus alone, and as you're in this moment, I want you to think about all the prayers you have prayed tonight. And ask, why did you pray those prayers? Or why did you not pray those prayers? In this moment, I just want you to think about the cross. And I want you to think about Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about him and what he gave up for every single one of us, what he gave up for you. And as you bow, what you're telling Jesus is, I bow to you because I won't bow to the world. Sometimes when I do this, college students, I love to imagine that I'm sitting at Jesus' feet, a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, the son of God who conquered death. I like to imagine myself. 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because that's what we're doing in this place, in the Lord's house. You can do this and get nothing out of it. It's all about the heart. But in this moment, I want to challenge you. What do you need to lay at Jesus' feet tonight? What are you tired of carrying around? What sin has a hold on you and you've been holding on to that sin for far too long? Repent of it. You give it to God. Just lay it at His feet as you're on your knees knowing that He is faithful to forgive us for our sin. As you sit at Jesus' feet, remind yourself that there is not a safer position to be in this world. That no matter, no matter where you're heading tomorrow, no matter where you're going tonight, that you are sitting at the presence of God. You're sitting at His feet right now. Who is there to fear? <laughs> the Creator of the heavens and the earth is, is coming down to visit with you if your heart desires that. He wants to be with you right now. What would you lay at His feet? Jesus loved people that nobody else loved. He died for people nobody else would die for. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was rejected because he was born of a virgin and sinless. He was rejected for you. They laid out his hands. They put his feet together. They nailed him to a cross. And he lifted up his spirit and three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating death. That is the Jesus that you and I get to bow to. Romans 1 tells us to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ and to not be ashamed of the gospel because he was not ashamed of you and me. Whatever you need to say to God right now, you just say it to him.